Let's talk about sex, baby. No. Let's talk about you and me. Stop. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. I'm proud of your voice. Let's talk about (laughs) sex. No, for real. We have done an episode on our sex life. Let's talk about sex. Okay, stop. This is for reals. We've done a podcast episode. It was one of the most popular we ever did. And we thought maybe it would be helpful for y'all if we didn't just talk about our opinions on sex. We brought in an expert. A professional. So this week, we're having a conversation with Vanessa Marin, a sex therapist who has worked with everybody from O Magazine to Refinery29, and now is sharing her wisdom with y'all. Hi, guys. I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 14 years. And together for 16. We have kids. Four kids. Which is like a thousand kids. We've also been foster parents to four kids as well. We're running a business together. We do a lot of things. That is a lot of things. (laughs) But we feel like it's possible, we know it's possible, to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. That's why we decided to do a podcast together. It's called Rise Together. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we kind of get through all the things. This is it. Come on down. Here we go. Uh, so, honey. Yes, honey. Um, as much as we have talked about this topic before, many times. Carpentry? Yes, carpentry. That is that is it. Um, no, actually, sex. Oh, geez. I know. But it felt like it was time to bring in an actual expert and just stop giving our own personal opinions because who knows if we have any idea what we're actually talking about. Oh, my goodness. I just got a little uh, anxious butterfly in my stomach. <laughs> Uh, Vanessa, what's up, girl? Hi, you guys. I'm so excited to be joining you. Yeah, no, thanks so much for for coming on board and chatting with... Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, I hate to interrupt you, but I'm going to just make the caveat for the humans who sometimes mistakenly put Rise Together podcast on in a vehicle where humans that are smaller might be driving (laughs) in the car. Number one, you know better, Pam. Don't you let your kids listen to our relationship advice, but separately... This episode in particular is going to be of a nature that is definitely not appropriate for small humans. Yep. So, or even medium-sized humans. So, <laughs> Maybe even large <laughs> humans. We're not sure yet. <laughs> it hasn't happened. Uh, so before we jump in to all of our questions that we have for you, will you tell us a little bit about your career and why you are an expert on this subject? Yeah, I'd love to. So I am a sex therapist and a coach and writer. And really, my entire career boils down to my parents trying to have the talk with me. (laughs) When I was about (laughs) 11 or 12, we were in our minivan, we were cruising home from grandma's house. And I saw my mom look at me in the rearview mirror. And she said, So, you know, if you have any questions about, you know, you can ask dad and I if you want to. It's okay. (laughs) And so I knew in that moment, even though she was inviting me to ask those questions, I knew that what she was really saying is, please do not ask your father and I any questions about this (laughs) because we do not want to talk about it. And so I, I remember even at that really young age thinking, wow, why are mom and dad so embarrassed about this? And at that time, I really did have a lot of questions. I was hearing things on the playground. I was, you know, just very curious about this. And I remember feeling very disappointed that we couldn't talk about it. 
And so, again, my whole career really kind of boils down to that. It was such a uh, an important memory in my life. And I really had that belief of this shouldn't be so hard. I already knew like this is normal. Everybody does it. It's okay. It's healthy. Why can't we just talk about it in an open and upfront manner? So that's really what my entire career boils down to. So why do you, I mean, I'm sure you know all of the exact reasons, but why do people struggle so much with the subject? Why it, does it come up as embarrassing or shameful? Like what, what is that that shows up in our culture where it is this taboo thing that we're not supposed to talk about openly. There are so many different reasons why we all struggle with sex, but I think that it truly boils down to the fact that we just don't feel comfortable talking about it. So we don't have open conversations, we don't give people resources, and so we just create this atmosphere that it's something that you can't talk about, you're not supposed to talk about. If you're having any problems in your relationship, you're certainly not supposed to talk about it. And it just creates this huge cloud of shame that really weighs on all of us. So that was part of the reason why I was so excited to see you guys start to talk about it on your podcast because it's you know just such a gift to be able to start opening up these conversations. You know, it's weird, like as a parent of humans that do not yet have a grasp on sexuality broadly or a lot of the things that they're going to have questions about in the next couple of years, at least I tell myself that at 12, maybe there's, you know, the beginnings of as our oldest is 12, um, some questions. But as a parent, having a conversation in some weird way is a thing that I would almost be reluctant to have for the worry of like letting them in on something that I don't know that they're ready to be let in on. And so in, in some ways that actually creates a bit of that culture that makes it a thing that feels a little taboo because I don't want to bring it up in case it ends up. And I'm sure there's, you know, a right time. I did just get an email from the school about, Hey, parents, your you know child, you know, at sixth grade is going to be exposed for the first time to sex education. I was like, we're going to do what? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like, I, I don't know how to have or, you know, even feel comfortable necessarily having the conversation because I don't want to presume that they know more than they, you know, do or that by me talking about it in some way, it ruins their experience with sex for the rest of their life. So your kids know a lot more about sex than you realize, um, because the reality is it's just everywhere. It's impossible to grow up in this society and not be exposed to sex. So I totally get that these are uncomfortable conversations to have, and we definitely need to think about what are the age-appropriate things to share with kids, but the reality is that our children are getting exposed to sex at such a younger age than most people realize, and you know being exposed to so much more about it too than we realize. So being able to have those initial conversations and control and guide what your kids are learning is really, really important. Well, I think especially because as adults, it's really easy to look back on those conversations we had with our parents or didn't have with our parents and how that shapes the way we perceive sex when we are old enough to have it. Um, I, like I think of in my house, you know, Pentecostal preacher's daughter, we did not talk about sex. The only thing that I knew was that I was supposed to be saving myself for marriage but nobody said what I was saving. I just, I, like, I literally didn't even know. It was just this thing that we don't say and we don't, and the, what I thought sex was for so long is 
mortifying, mortifying <laughs> because I didn't, I remember, oh God, this is like, I'm sure my face is so red right now, but I remember being whatever age and like finally asking my aunt Linda, who was like just this, oh gosh, the wrong person asked. And she was so flustered about what I was asking. Cause I said, what, what is that? And she was like, it's, it's when a man puts his penis between a woman's legs. And then just like huffed off. And I tell you, hand to heaven, for years, I thought that just like a man put his penis in between your legs and you just like held it in between your legs for the <laughs> longest time. That is what I thought sex was. I had no idea. That's and it's all that, we've been doing for I know. 15 years. <laughs> I don't know what you're so talking weird. about. So um, weird. But, I, but yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought sex was a man lies on top of a woman and you go to sleep. But I didn't. Yeah. I, I just thought it was you lie on top, your legs are spread, and that's kind of it. And you just yeah. take a little nap together. Oh, My version of the talk was being handed a tape, a an actual cassette tape from Focus on the Family. Yep. Which basically made me feel bad for having like a penis. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> just, like, there well, was no conversation before or after. It was here. Put this in your yellow Sony Walkman. Yes. And while I mowed the lawn, I learned things that just shaped the rest of everything. I, and I had a, I had a girlfriend who growing up, they referred to a vagina as your shame, shame. What? That was oh, wow. the name in their family for it. Yes. That was your shame, shame. And we like died laughing over wine, like, oh my gosh, this is insane. But it never felt weird to her. You know, that was just what her family wow. called it. That's your shame, shame. And now as adult women, we're like, oh what? my gosh. So there's just, there's so much stuff your family of origin gives you around this topic. So let's say that listeners are laughing with us or nodding <laughs> along. They have their own, we all have our own special brand of you know, whatever, when it came to sexuality and growing up, if it's something that is embarrassing for you or shameful for you, like, let's say you're, at, this is a, my own story. Like I was a married woman and still carried a lot of shame around this, like ab about enjoying it or uh, just all the things. Cause I still had all of this stuff in my head from like, you're supposed to be a good girl and I don't know how to be a good girl and a freak in the sheets at the same time. So if someone's listening to this and they understand that narrative, what are some of the things that can help you get past that, um, that worry that it's embarrassing or that it's shameful to enjoy sex with your partner? Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Well, first and foremost, I hope just listening to this podcast will give you that belief. Um, we'll just, you know, help you understand this is something that's totally normal and common and healthy and should not have any shame. So just, you know, finding more resources like this is really helpful. Um, there's another exercise that I really like that I highly recommend that everyone does. And what you do is basically make a list of every single belief that you were taught to believe about sex as a child, as a teenager, maybe even as an adult. Um, any belief that comes to mind, really small things, really big things, just, I mean, you can really go to town on this and spend a good amount of time. So then once you have that list of everything you were taught to believe about sex, then go through that list one item at a time and ask yourself, is this belief serving me? As an adult, is this belief serving me? It's, is it helping me create the sex life that I want to have? And I think that can be super powerful to go through each and everything like that and examine it through that lens of, is this something that is serving me that I want to continue believing? That's good. So good. And because the chances, most of the things on that list feel like they're going to be no. Yeah. Right? Definitely. But there also might be some, you know, some nuggets of gray area or wisdom that you were taught. Like maybe your parents taught you that you should only be intimate with partners that you really care about or that you really trust. You know, it might take, uh, there might be more extreme examples of that, but maybe that's kind of a gray area of, yeah, you know what? I do want to make sure that I'm only intimate with partners that I really feel like I have trust in. That seems like a good rule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I should only be engaging in sexual experiences that make both of us feel good, not just one of us feel good. Yeah. Because I think that women, at least, again, that was the story of, of for me, for a long time with us, was um, that it was about connection and it wasn't necessarily about having to feel good. And when I changed that narrative in my own mind, like, oh, no, we're only going to do this if both of us are just having the best time ever, everything else changed after it. Like it, that was the biggest, most drastic, life-changing thing that happened in the history of our intimacy together. Yeah, that's an <laughs> that's a really huge thing that comes up for so many women is that you know we're really socialized to be caretakers and to put other people's needs and experiences above our own and this happens inside of the bedroom and outside of the bedroom. And so inside of the bedroom it leads to a lot of women having what I like to call selfless sex where you're having sex that is not in any way, shape, or form about you. You're completely Ooh. focused, yeah, on your partner's experience and on your own performance. You know, am I good enough for my partner? Am I making my partner happy? Is my partner attracted to me? And so I think, you know, we can relate to showing up that way in so many different areas of our lives, and in the bedroom is no different. Oh, that's so good. I feel like a bunch of women all over the world just went like, oh, yes, that's the thing. Maybe some <laughs> I, men I too. So. I, I mean, like, I think in our relationship, I'm very interested in your enjoying it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, 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 in a way that maybe, you know, is <laughs> it goes even too far on that spectrum because if you aren't up for 
having an orgasm or if you're not into the sex, I'm not even into having it, which yeah. feels like maybe I'm also a little weird in that respect, but it's like, no, that feels right. I, I mean, I think like, I don't think I definitely, there are times in, I don't know. And you can tell us Vanessa, if you disagree, but definitely there are times in any relationship where I think like you're having fun or whatever, like in the moment, it's about taking care of your partner, maybe not yourself, but that is, that's not the rule. Yeah, that's, that's just like, exception. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that both partners should want to have fun with their person and everybody's having a good time and everybody enjoys themselves. Okay. So let's ask this question because their yep is a place that we've now found in our relationship where pretty regularly when one of us is like, hello, then <laughs> uh, the other person is like, heck yeah, let's go. And uh, the door locks and the holy sweats come off. And it, you know, uh, Shut up. I'm just saying they're sexy. The bottom line is that wasn't always the case for us. There sure. definitely was a time in our relationship where I was more interested and in, in the pursuer and initiating and being turned down, uh, chronicled in a book of yours, but like initiating and being turned down was a thing that happened for a while that made my interest in initiating and a little bit of like how I felt as a person who wasn't being, you know, as consistently, Hey, yeah, I'm in, let's go. Hello. You know, was, was not a thing that I was getting back to my hello. Um, what do you tell someone if they find themselves as the man or the woman in the relationship who is a more interested party has initiated and been turned down and is a little reluctant to wanting to keep asking and getting a no. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that one of the things that we don't really realize is just how vulnerable initiating sex is. And I think especially we have these stereotypes in heterosexual relationships where we think the guy is always the one who wants sex more. And I think a lot of women kind of brush off the guy's desire when he's initiating sex as, oh, you know, he's just trying to, he's just trying to get some, you know, it's not really a, it, they don't really see that it's about a, a man maybe also wanting connection in that moment. And they don't see the vulnerability that it takes to put yourself out there and ask for what you want. So, you know, anytime that you're initiating sex, it's extremely vulnerable because you're putting yourself in that position for your partner to say no. And whenever your partner says no, you know, it just, it has that way of bringing up feelings of rejection. Like you think back to, you know, being in third grade and picked last for the kickball team, that kind of feeling. It's just a real kick in the gut. So I think it's very important for us to recognize that vulnerability takes a lot, or excuse me, that initiation takes a lot of vulnerability. And because of that, it's really important for couples to learn how to balance out who's initiating sex. And the other part of that is it's really important for couples to figure out how to turn down sex really gracefully and graciously. Ooh, tell That's us good. that. How yeah. do you turn down sex gracefully? Don't say it with that much enthusiasm. <laughs> I know. It's a really good question. I feel like, come on. I'm joking. Uh, no, it's a very good question because I've never heard someone bring that up yeah. before in a way that's just not always like... I'm no. tired. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, we never talk about it. And it's it's so important because it's the flip side of the coin. If you want someone to be comfortable with initiation, you also have to figure out how to manage rejection really gracefully. So there are a couple of different things that you can do. First thing that I always say is always make sure that you acknowledge that your partner has initiated. 
So I think this is something that so many people, so many couples do. One partner kind of gives the other partner the look and you both know what that means, but the (laughs) other partner tries to pretend like they didn't see it or they don't get it. And it just leads to really, really hurt feelings because nothing's going said out loud, but everybody knows what's going on. It's kind of like when a baby cries in the middle of the night and neither partner (laughs) moves in the bed, even though both of them know that they're both awake. Yes. Continue. Yeah. So acknowledge the initiation because, you know, again, recognize that your partner was really vulnerable. They put themselves out there. They're trying to connect with you. So at least acknowledge the efforts that they're making. Then the second thing is you can ask yourself if there's something different that you might be open to instead. So I think one of the main problems that couples uh, come into is that we fall into ruts really easily. And when we have sex, we end up doing the exact same thing over and over again. And we can get into this later, but it usually ends up being things that really prioritize the male pleasure over female pleasure. So if your partner is initiating and you already have this idea in your head of, oh, I know what this is leading to. There's not going to be much in it for me. No, (laughs) you can think instead about, well, is there something different that I might be open to instead? And it could be, you know, even something really small. Hey, maybe I'd love to just get in bed with my partner and cuddle or have a makeout session on the sofa. So see if there might be something else that you feel more interested in. What's interesting, two two questions or two thoughts that I have for you on that one is one, I'm la- like I'm dying laughing as you're talking because I can't remember. I hope this is not like terrible to say, but I can't remember the last time that we like attempted to be sexy. There was a time where it'd be like, we'd rub each- oh, I'm going to rub your back or I'm going to like start kissing your neck. Now we're just like, yes, you know? Well, what's interesting too, even though like, even in the like idea of offering an alternative that the person who like isn't interested in sex, but does want connection. If you're the one who's initiated and you get a redirect, like making out on the couch could very well lead to the thing that you're interested in, which yeah, is like absolutely. make out leads to sex or cuddling in bed could very much lead to the sex that you're asking for. So like, don't take, if you're the, you know, in this case, I'm the man and I'm asking my wife, if she says, you know what, let's just cuddle. Like, okay. Cuddling every once in a while, basically every time has led to us having sex. Let's cuddle it up. Yeah. Dave is actually the king of, Oh, can I just give you a back rub? Yep. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, things happen. So I I do think that's a good. Yeah. I mean, and and here's one of the really ironic things that happens too, when there's a couple where one partner is initiating all the time is that that partner gets so used to being turned down that they start like shrinking down their ideas of the possibilities that are, you know, available to them. So if a partner, if their partner says yes to them, they're just going to go right for, you know, the intercourse in most cases. Whereas, you know, if we had more flexibility and freedom around initiation, then they might feel more interested in trying to initiate a bunch of different activities. But it's just they get get so used to hearing a no. It's like, okay, I got a yes. I got to go for it. Yeah. That was our story. I mean, like in some respects, that was our story. After our second son was born, we were not having sex as often as we had before. It wasn't a thing that was that enjoyable. So... I was definitely in a habit of being the initiator and being turned down more often than not. And when I got the yes, it was like, okay, let's go. And it wasn't, I wasn't giving a ton of consideration necessarily to how we were both feeling as much as I was celebrating the yes. And it wasn't until Rachel really became determined to 
focus on her being as into the sex as I was into the sex that she was now initiating as much as I was initiating and having as good a time as I was because of actually focusing on, well, how do I feel in this thing too? That's a good question then. If someone's listening to this and they have a totally different sex drive than their partner, what do you say to that? Okay. So the first thing with that is that this is completely normal. Every couple has mismatched sex drives to some degree. You're never going to find a partner who wants sex at exactly the same time every single time that you want it. And so, you know, the challenge for every couple is that we have to work together as a team to have the kind of sex that we are both going to crave on a regular basis. So what I find is that mismatched sex drives are actually more often a case of mismatched sexual enjoyment. So when mismatched sex drives become a problem in a relationship, instead of just a a reality that every couple goes through, it's typically because one partner is getting a whole lot more enjoyment out of sex than the other partner. That is so good. So then it's more about discovering what makes you both have a good time. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. This was the the whole, we had like a sexy September where we committed to having sex every day for an entire month with the mission every single time finishing, both of us finishing with an orgasm so that we could figure out how to actually achieve that every time. And that exercise, I mean, by day 24, you're exhausted from having sex. It's awesome. (laughs) But um, it also though, like, totally changed the way that we've, you know, like understood how to unlock the other person's interest in having sex because we knew how to make them feel good. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it just really comes down to being able to try new things with your partner. Um, So I have like a 30 day sex challenge that I do and that I have on my website because the idea is, you know, we get, we tend to get ourselves into a rut. And again, we keep doing that same thing over and over again. And it's not very exciting to either partner. And so when we allow ourselves to be a little bit more creative and explore and maybe push our comfort zones a teeny tiny bit, we can discover so much more to sex and physical intimacy. And again, it's like there's such funny ironies because we don't talk about it. We end up, you know, creating initiation that leads straight to intercourse. It doesn't end up being super fun for either partner. And like going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, too. Another irony is that I think a lot of women think that, you know, they're so focused on their performance and on their partner's experience. They don't realize that there are actually so many men who, like you, Dave, care deeply about their partner's experience and want her to be enjoying herself. So let's say that you are interested in trying something or you've always wanted or you have a fantasy or fill in the blank, but the idea of bringing that up makes you want to die. Uh, (laughs) Like you need to be on vacation and have had just the right amount of tequila in order to even consider it. But that's not conducive to any sort of real life. So what do you say to someone who has something that they want to try, but is too nervous, scared, whatever, to talk about it with their partner? 
Well, first and foremost, I think it's really important to recognize that the fears that you have about sharing this with your partner are probably dramatically overblown because the reality is that your partner wants to know what you like and want to try. Your partner does care about your pleasure. If they don't, I don't know why you guys are together. So, you know, yeah. it's not a, yeah. not a good relationship. So, um, but yeah, your partner wants to know. And the funny thing is that when I'm working with couples, I hear this kind of fear from the tamest thing. You know, like, oh, I want to try maybe lighting a candle while we're having sex. You know, so people get really nervous about the smallest things. And I just try to keep coming back to that belief of your, your partner wants to know you, just like your partner wants to know you outside of the bedroom, know your hopes and dreams and wishes and fears. Your partner wants to know you inside of the bedroom, too. I'm sorry for laughing. Fire safety is very important. <laughs> Um, you can use one of those I, little I, LED flicker candles instead then. <laughs> you know, I, I actually love that because I feel like something that's so interesting to me is we're about to celebrate our 15th anniversary in May. Congrats. And thank you. And what is amazing is how what I like or what we like or what we enjoy doing together has changed over time. I I, I think I thought naively when we got married that like, this was just, we'd, we'd have it just this way. And these would be the three positions that we went to. And, and, but over time it really has changed and shifted, which means not only do you have to have those conversations once, but you have to have them all the time. Like, Hey, I'm interested in this, or I love it when you do that, but it shifts and grows as you grow as a person. And that's what makes sex so much fun. Like really just think about what sex would be like if we had this exact same routine of things that we knew that we liked and we did it every single time. Like, okay, we're going to make out for two minutes and 30 seconds. And then you're going to kiss down my neck, like 13 kisses. And then mm -hmm. you're going to slowly remove my, like it would just be so boring if we did the exact same thing every single time. Sex is really at its best when it's exploratory, when it's our ability to, to play with our partner and just discover new things together. And it's just so important to know, like, you're never going to fully know who you are as a sexual being because who that person is is always changing. The way that my husband Xander and I had sex at the beginning of our relationship is dramatically different from the way that we have sex now. And I'm sure it's going to be dramatically different from the way that we have sex in 20 more years. So that's, mm -hmm. that's what makes it fun. How, what would you say to specifically women? I suppose men could have the same uh, situation, but specifically women who listen to this and get really wrapped up in body image and allow body image to um, negatively affect their ability to enjoy the experience because they're worried about how they look or what their partner's thinking or, you know. I do not understand this at all. I mean, like I do not. I, mm -hmm. No, no, no. I'm saying I like I hear the words coming from your mouth and I definitely want to hear the answer, but I cannot imagine an angle, an amount of pounds, um, like like a time of month, whatever, that like I wouldn't see your naked body and be like, let's have <laughs> a party. I just don't like it. Just like the things that you're saying do not compute to me. Yeah. And I so I wonder how much it's like in if you ever have those thoughts, it's like I'm here to tell you and the rest of humanity Get them out of your head. Oh, no, I don't have them anymore. Oh, I know I'm hot. I'm, I'm here for it. I have total body confidence. I love my body. 
But when we first were together, oh my gosh, like how does my stomach look? How do my boobs look? Like I worried about so many things because I was insecure and I would be so nervous. Like you were saying, Vanessa, you know, about his experience, like that he thought I was beautiful or sexy or that I was arching my neck in just the right way Mm -hmm. or whatever, that it took me mentally totally out of enjoying the experience because I was just nervous about how I looked. And I wish that it was easy to just say like, oh, that's dumb, but that's not for a lot of women, this is a huge issue. So is there are there things that listeners can do if they're feeling insecure in that way to start to overcome those insecurities? Yeah, it's funny. I remember having this exact same conversation with my husband early in our relationship where he said what Dave is saying, you know, I have never once looked at your body and thought, you know, oh, that looks kind of weird in this angle or her belly (laughs) is kind of pooching out in that angle. It's like, if you're naked, it's good. Everything is good. And I remember just being so awestruck in that moment of, wow, that's really how his brain works. And, you know, over the course of my career, I've had the opportunity to talk to so many men about this topic because I know it's so sensitive for so many women. And I have honestly, in talking to thousands of men, I've never heard a single man tell me that he's conscious of these things that we women worry about. So I think just knowing that hopefully brings a little bit of relief. One thing that you can do as well is just talk to your partner about it. So at a separate time outside of the bedroom, just tell your partner, hey, you know, I really struggle with my body image sometimes and I find myself really thinking about it in the moment when we're being intimate and I don't want to be thinking that. I want to be able to be present with you. I'm just curious, like, what do you think about And I am sure that you will hear some variation of what Dave just said and what my husband said from your partner. And that can be such a relief to hear. And then, you know, when it comes to body image itself, like this is such a huge topic and it really affects pretty much every single woman alive. Um, And the thing that I come back to time and time again is that we were not born feeling ashamed of our bodies. We were taught to be. Woo, preach. That's good. Yeah. And it's just, it's so important to recognize, like, we each have our own stories, our own histories, but this is part of a global problem about the ways that we teach women to feel about their body. And so if you can't get fired up for yourself and wanting to have a healthier relationship with your body, think about your children, like your daughters. What do you want your daughter to learn about her body? How do you want her to feel about her body? If you don't have kids, you know, think about nieces or, you know, goddaughters, just any sort of little girl in your life. Like, what do you want her to feel? What do you want this next generation of women to feel about her body? Uh, Another thing that was helpful to me, I think when I was going through this, uh, for what it's worth, is that at some point I just got so sick of this being in my head. I just like, this is so dumb and I don't want to think this way. So I started to, um, like anytime that I would look in a mirror, let's say, and, and have that negative self-talk, like, uh, you're this or you're that, or you need to, I would stop and make myself find things on my body. Like, oh my gosh, but man, you're, hands are sexy. Like, I don't know. Like I would just make (laughs) myself find parts of my body like, oh, you've got a great butt or you've got, I would find those things so that I was focusing on the stuff that I did love. Like we've got, everybody had, like maybe you've got an area, like whatever. I wish it wasn't this way, but most of us have an area where like, oh, I wish that was fill in the blank. 
find, focus on the stuff that you love, focus on the stuff that you find sexy. And maybe if you don't have that at the ready, ask your partner, like, what is your favorite? Mm -hmm. Like, do you love my boobs? Do you love my butt? Do you love my hair? Do you love, so that you are, you are conscious of those like, man, this is so sexy. This is so beautiful. This is fill in the blank. That was really helpful to me because then I could focus on, um, trying to think of a way to say this without being inappropriate, but I'm just going to say like, let's say Dave like grabs my butt. I'm like, oh yeah, because I know he loves my butt because he thinks it's sexy and man, I do too. And it just gave me a different narrative about my body. I love like the conversation you were having the other day. I don't remember what context it was in, but outside of the bedroom, the like, look at these arms, they've held my baby. Look at this belly. It carried my kid. Like, finding positive attribution for the things that you might otherwise have some insecurity about. Like what a rad way to just totally change the narrative for yourself. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you were about to say something very smart and I had cut you off. So (laughs) uh, I'm sorry about that. I have, but I have a question that this is, I think a thing that probably plagues many humans who find themselves busy in life. Uh, the spontaneity of an early relationship, sexual Congress, uh, giving way to what now is us with four children and busy careers and a lot of travel. Uh, there is not as much spontaneous sex as much as there sometimes has to be a little bit of us planning to have sex. Uh, certainly we keep a steady date night, but how do you, for the people who are listening, who have gotten out of the habit, out of the frequency that they maybe had at the beginning of a relationship, encourage a listener to uh, get back on that train or find a way through a busy life if busyness is a thing that's gotten in the way of them having sex? Yeah, that's such a great question. So here's the thing. A passionate, pleasurable, exploratory, intimate sex life is just not going to fall into your lap. If that's something that is important to you, then you have to be intentional about making it happen. So, and the other really interesting thing about this is that so many couples, they talk about those early stages of their relationship and they talk about it, you know, as if, oh, sex was so spontaneous and it was so effortless, but actually that's just not true. (laughs) There's a lot of planning and scheduling and effort that goes into those early stages of relationship. So you're scheduling dates and you're getting yourself all worked up for having your date. You're flirting with each other. You're trying to be the best version of yourself to impress your partner. You're trying to win them over. You're you know, going to the gym and doing your hair and putting on your favorite underwear and all this stuff. There's so much effort involved at the early stages of a relationship. And the, the only difference is our attitudes about that effort. So you had fun in the beginning of your relationship putting in that effort, whereas now you might see it as work. So a lot of go. this is just is trying to get into a different mindset of it. It's not that there wasn't effort involved. It's just that you had a different attitude about it. So true. That's good. All right. <laughs> I have another one. This might have to be our last question because we're running low on time. But uh, let's say that the parts in plumbing that were working perfectly at the beginning of your relationship over time stop working as they maybe did at the beginning. Whether you're a man or a woman, things are just different down there than they maybe <laughs> were before. Um, you know, like they're interestingly, certainly like on the man side of things, there's like a lot of pride and masculinity around the virile nature of uh, you know being able to get a fantastic erection at the just the <laughs> top of a hat. Um, And over time, that maybe is a thing that doesn't happen as easily. And for a woman, maybe feeling 
um, like you're able to receive mm-hmm. an erection it's is a like, thing that just also. I love how changes. delicately you're trying to. I know. I'm trying to like not use lewd words, but guess what? Like there, there, there is a time when um, you might have to introduce lubrication. There's a time when you might have to introduce ED medication. Like it's a hard conversation. I'm going to guess for a lot of couples to broach because of pride or shame or whatever it might be. And if you find yourself with plumbing problems, how do you... First of all, first step is you don't call them plumbing problems. Well, that seems like probably the <laughs> root of why this one. exists as a problem. Yeah. But um, like, what, recommend, what, what recommendation do you give to people who might uh, be having trouble uh, having it work as well as it maybe did at the beginning? Well, the first thing that we need to recognize is that we are not robots. Our bodies are not machines. They don't operate perfectly well every single time. So it's really not even a question of as you grow older. It's, you know, throughout the course of your life, you're going to have experiences with your body not cooperating with what you want to do in your head. And I think that interestingly, one of the main dynamics that feeds into this is that we tend to be in so much of a rush to like get to the sex. Um, And we don't give ourselves, men and women, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to relax, to get into the mood, to get really, you know, stimulated and feeling good. We're just trying to jump to the main event. And so if we can learn to slow down a bit and get more enjoyment out of all of the lead up to sex, then oftentimes performance issues are not an issue at all. That's so good. I like that. (laughs) All right. Before we go, is there anything else for, I mean, like we are huge advocates of therapy, generally speaking. Hey, if we've got a problem in our head, we of course would go just like we would if we had a problem in our gut. But to be honest, having a conversation with a sex therapist is not a thing that I thought would actually happen in my lifetime. <laughs> is there a, is there a thing that if listeners want to get more information, if they want the yeah. resources that you're talking about, where can they find more about you online? Yeah, they can find me over at vmtherapy.com. And I'm happy to put together a little page at vmtherapy.com slash rise together just to give your audience some free resources and articles and, and tips just to get started on this process. I know that it can feel really overwhelming and intimidating. So I want to help out as much as I can. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, cool. And, you know, one of the huge parts of my business now is that I've built out some online courses because I know that sex therapy can feel really intimidating to people. Um, The idea of, you know, going into an office and talking about the most intimate parts of your sex life. So I started building these online courses um, and they've been very popular because it's just a much easier way to get all of these tips and resources and help open up conversations while still being able to be in the privacy and comfort of your own home. Thank you so much for taking the time and and sharing your knowledge. I'm sure it's going to be so helpful to a lot of listeners, and we really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you guys so much for letting me come onto your podcast and embarrass you guys. And I just really, really appreciate that you've opened up these conversations. I think that you guys probably do not even know the impact that you've had just getting that started. So thank you for that.